wasn't that great? <laughs> Felix, Sky, Kezia, well done. That was great. I love the way it sort of starts off in black and white and then sort of morphed towards colours, the relationships established. Did you notice that? And hopefully we'll get to see that again later. Well, welcome everybody. It's good to, uh, good to see you. We're just about catching up with Barton Grange now, who started their uh, Christmas Advent uh, preparations about three weeks ago. Uh, and, and we're starting, uh, starting ours now. Uh, we're going to be thinking about this amazing truth that God is with us. And Jesus personifies this with the name Emmanuel. And we might think of it as the Emmanuel Principle. And the trouble is we only tend to think of Emmanuel, God with us, at Christmas. Have you ever heard a message about Emmanuel at other time than Christmas? And there's some huge truths for us regarding what it means to have God with us today in our different circumstances. And so our series will consider what it means to have God with us when we're in the valleys of despair, when everything seems to be crushing in against us. Next week we'll be looking about the wilderness, when we seem lost. The next week it's the storms of life's cheery, isn't it? Uh, and in the fourth week, uh, with some relief, we'll finally look at the incarnation and what it means for us every day, uh, always. But throughout all of human history, the voice of God resounds with an absolute assurance, I am with you. And it unfolds in breathtaking detail, really, throughout the experience of countless individuals and families and tribes and cities and nations and generations and experiences. And it will unfold in us too. So here we have in Ezekiel, uh, my dwelling shall be with them and I shall be their God and they shall be my people. It's a permanent statement of God's intent. And so here to Isaac at the beginning of his journey with God, do not be afraid. I am with you and I will bless you. And it's a promise to everyone who's starting their journey with God. So if you're a new Christian, this is a promise for you today. And here to Jacob, uh, his own devious, nasty behavior to his brother had created such a family rift that Esau wanted to kill him. And yet what does God say? I'm with you and I'll keep you wherever you go. And this is a verse for people that have messed up. If you've made a colossal mess up of your life, it doesn't mean that God's going to desert you. And what about here, passing on a few generations, the promise to Moses was repeated to Joshua, spreading beyond the family to the nation as they learned to claim God's promise for them. I will be with you as I was with Moses in Joshua 3.7. So it's a promise to everyone who's had a call to service. Joshua was succeeding Moses. He had a new job, a new role, new responsibilities. And if you're in that situation today, this is God's promise to you. God's going to walk with you through those new things. And then to the new King David, do all that you have in mind, for God is with you. That's for those of you that have got new jobs, maybe. You've just been installed as king. And here to the nation at a particular time of need, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you in Isaiah 41. And if ever God's people needed that sort of comfort, uh, it's now, isn't it? And then this to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He'd been given a task that, frankly, he didn't want. 
that was going to cause him considerable misery and suffering, inconvenience, distress. He was going to see his family uh, done away with. And are you stuck with a call that, frankly, you wish you didn't have? Well, this is for you. God's going to walk with you in it. And then another promise for those whose own sin is leading them through tough times in Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a book about judgment for personal and national sin. But what does, Jesus, what does the, the scripture say? The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's people who are under punishment for goodness sake. If God's disciplining you at the moment for something you've done maybe, then just bear in mind that he's mighty to save and he will delight in you. His continual presence. And this to the disciples and through them to all believers as we carry the gospel message. Remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And people's last recorded words are of great significance, particularly have the opportunity of choosing them. And Jesus knew that these would be his last words. And his last words that he left with us is, I am with you always. And it wasn't just that Jesus' name was Emmanuel. He is God with us. So when we talk about God being with us, we're talking about walking with Jesus as well. Do not be afraid to speak and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you or harm you. There are many in this city who are my people. That was to the Apostle Paul in Corinth when he was under threat from, from the Jews. And if you feel that you're under threat for sharing the gospel ministry, the work, work that God's done in your life, don't be afraid, but speak out, because your God is with you. And then in Revelation, see the home of God is now among his people. He'll live with them, and they will be with his people. God himself will be with them. Ultimately, it's all God's people for all time. And this is the marker of what it is to be a child of God. It's what differentiates us from every other religion, for everything else. And over and above... Again and again and again, this truth is played out in the number of comings and goings of his people. In fact, you can look on the number of occasions uh, where his promise is given. And I can't think of any circumstances of life where God has not promised to walk with us through them. These are awesome promises. Can you think about that? That God himself will want to be with me. Has that ever struck you? Or is it just me that somehow words feel strangely short of describing that incredible experience and let your soul grasp the enormity of it? And so this morning, I want to look very practically about what it means to have God with us in the down times of life. When we're in the depths of the valleys of battles and loneliness and desperation, rather in the soaring mountaintops of wonderful views and G5 phone reception, all that sort of stuff. You know, it's something very practical. You know, we might enjoy God in the mountaintops, but actually we get to know him in the valleys. And Psalm 84, 5 to 7 says, What joy, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of Baca, which means weeping or loss, it will become a place of refreshing springs. 
The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They'll continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. This psalm refers to a pilgrimage that the children of Israel will go to. Every child of God sought to go to Jerusalem at least once in their lives on pilgrimage at Passover. Huge numbers of people did that. And as they went through the, the sort of valley, which is the psalm here, uh, some would say that this is actually uh, a poetic illustration, that the, the valley is really just some, a symbol. But actually those who dig and root around have found a valley, uh, which is not far out of Jerusalem, uh, which, through which the pilgrims would have physically gone. And this is a picture uh, of that valley. When you look at it, it's got steep sides. Uh, once you're in it, there's no escape but to keep going. You can't climb out of the sides. There's lots of dark, deep shadows. It's an oppressive sort of place. You pass through it. You don't set up camp there. Does that resonate where you may be? You're in a dark valley. The steep sides, it feels threatening. It feels oppressive. It seems there's no way out. You've got to remember the purpose of this valley is to pass through it, not to set up camp in it. To set up camp saying, poor old me, isn't this terrible? I am, you know, and to stay there. The whole idea is to go through it because their minds weren't focused on where they were, but on where they were going. And that changes a lot of things because we were created to be dependent on God's presence with us on that journey. And it changes everything. It changes everything. What we think about and what we focus on matter because it shapes our whole life. My circumstances may be in the valley, but I choose to focus on where I'm going because our life travels in the direction of our strongest thoughts, doesn't it? What we think about most is where we tend to stay and it directs the direction of our life. And my soul might be aching, I might be tired, I might be hungry, I might be hurting, but my mind is fixed on where I'm going. And my emotion might be racing, but my spirit is fixed on where I'm going. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And our journey to the reality of heaven will take us through this valley of tears. But did you notice in the reading that even in this dark valley, there are refreshing springs and blessing? Even in the toughest times, there will be times of blessing. So how do you look for a time of blessing opportunity when everything is tough? The simplest way is to take the focus off yourself and seek to be a blessing to somebody else. Because nothing blesses you as much as being a blessing to somebody else. That's one of the great secrets of the Christian walk. And I'll give it you for free. If you want to be blessed, be a blessing. Look for someone that you can serve. Psalm 23 verse 4 reminds us, 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David will probably have known of this valley. It's near Jerusalem. Maybe he had it in mind when he wrote Psalm 23. But he says, I will fear no evil. Why did he say, I will fear no evil? Because you are with me. And that changed everything. There's something cathartic about walking through dark places with God at your side. And the act of keeping going in trust somehow opens that gateway for blessing, which our passage describes as refreshing rain. And when you start to see purpose in things, everything changes. In our situation with with Val going through the Valley of Bacar, we've begun to realize that people with certain diseases, certain problems, certain challenges are closed societies. There's nobody in it apart from those that have got it. And it gives you an entree into people's lives to be a blessing and to be an encouragement that you could never be from the outside. And we read about that in, in 2 Corinthians 1. And the pilgrims had a purpose too in going through the valley of Bacar. And we take this journey in God. Are we downhearted? No, we're not. Why? Because we're not going to be living in this valley forever. We're just pilgrims. We're passing through. And we're learning things that we could maybe learn in no other way because when you think about it, we never really learn anything about ourselves in the good times, do we? Everything we learn about ourselves that changes us is actually in the tough times. And we're sustained by these two verses. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you. That's in James 4.8. And in Jeremiah 29.13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And God never says, you won't have to go through valleys. God never says, come to me or you're weary in heaven, and I'll give you a smooth and easy life. Nothing will ever go wrong. Everything will be fine. You'll never be sick. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. And nobody will hassle you. Not true. Not true. But whatever valleys God has for you to go through, he's going to be right there at the side with you. Because he's your light in the apparent darkness. He's your peace in the storm. He's your joy in trouble and he's your strength when you're weak. So we enjoy God on the mountain, but we get to know him closer in the valley. And the divine assurance, I am with you, thunders through the ages. But it's also a divine invitation. It's the unifying center of the Bible. Because every story in the Bible, no matter what its twists and turns are, is built on this clarion call to relationship. I'm with you. Will you be with me? There are 40 occasions in Scripture where we're asked to follow God. There's 18 in the Old Testament and 22 in the New. And there are 21 occasions when we're asked to walk with him. And if you add up all the other variations of the words meaning the same thing, you very quickly run into hundreds. And understanding is important. And at this point, let me just give you a, a plug. If you're wondering what to buy people for Christmas, 
an NLT study Bible, absolutely brilliant, whether it's in paper, uh, whether it's in digital format or whether it'll open up your eyes to understanding the background of Scripture, what's going on, and it will be an enormous help. But actually, understanding is not just intellectual acquiescence to a set of beliefs. It's an active word. It's a relational word. It's about willingly following where Jesus leads and walking with him. That was the custom uh, for New Testament disciples of a rabbi or a teacher. I have pictures in my mind. It's, it's not like dragging a reluctant child. I have memories of dragging our children up mountains. Come on, come on, you're nearly there. You're ne come on. You know, and, and, and it's a real struggle to get them to the top. But then when they've seen the top, and they start to like it. It turns. And then over the years, come on, Dad, hurry up. We're nearly there. And it totally changes. I remember going round Lanhydrock House in Cornwall one time. It was the one house too many with our kids, dragging them round this house. Oh, another boring room, another boring room. It'll be good for you. You just come on. You know, it's not like that. It's not like that. The story of Scripture comes as an invitation because God's given us the freedom to choose. He's given us his power so that we might change and the opportunity to walk in trust with God himself. And the question is, God is with you and will you choose to be with God wherever you go? We sometimes have this doubt whether God is with us. And I know I've told this story before, but it's the best example I've got. We were walking the Halley's dog some years ago on Livam Sand Dunes. And we lost sight of him and wondered where he was. And I was shouting, Toby, 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 where are you, where are you, where are you? And then on just on the top of a distant sand dune, I saw this little head pop up, which was the same sort of dog, same color. And I'm shouting, Toby, come here, come on. And this dog just looked at me. And I got more and more frustrated. I was shouting and getting louder. And then just at the side of me, I saw a little black shadow just out of sight. And I turned round, and there was Toby looking up at me as if to say, you stupid man, I'm here. Can you not see me? And this dog on the far side was looking very puzzled. Why is that man shouting at me? <laughs> but this is the point. We cry for God's presence all the time. And this little voice behind us says, do you not realize I'm here? I'm here all the time. And you can choose to be with God wherever you go, knowing that he chooses to walk with you too. And this is the great dynamic of the Emmanuel principle, that God is with us way of life. And the big question is, do we want to walk with God? and take him with us into the sort of places that we go, to have him with us in all that we do? That's today's question. And I'm going to ask Sarah just to take it on and show you how. Wow, what a tremendous truth. That God is with us always. As we've heard this morning, it doesn't matter what valleys we are walking through, God is saying, do not be afraid because I am with you. We need to have a revelation of the depth of God's love for us this morning. 
We need to make a response to him. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You think in the book of Revelation, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door to me, I will come and I will dine with you and you with me. Jesus wants a relationship with us. Do we sense him knocking on the door of our hearts this morning? We've got the freedom to choose. We've got the freedom to choose whether to get up to open the door to him, to invite him in. And what does Jesus say he'll do? He says he'll come and he will dine with us. He will eat with us. Now, eating together is a sign of deep relationship, deep fellowship. And we become like those that we spend time with. And so our perceptions begin to change as we spend time with him. Can I just invite Kat to just come and share a story? Thinking about how do we come to know God in the valleys of our life? Let's hear from Kat as she talks about how she's walked through a valley with God. Hello. Um, I was asked to speak about an experience of um, going through a valley of despair and how God has sustained me by his promise. When I think of a valley of despair, I think of a story I once read called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. In his journey to the celestial city, Christian, the main character, and his friend end up captured by a giant called despair. The giant took them to his dungeon called Doubting Castle. Being in prison, they were losing hope day by day. Giant despair fights them, wanting to defeat them and bring them down to the deepest and darkest desperation, where hope is nowhere to be seen. Thirteen years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, um, also called MS. It is a neurological condition that affects your brain and spine. We all have our immune systems that fight off any infections that might invade our bodies. In MS, the immune system becomes confused and attacks the protective myelin coating around our nerves by mistake. If myelin is damaged by the immune system, the nerve can't communicate properly and may eventually die. At first, I was under different kinds of treatment which aimed to slow down the progression, but the side effects of each one of them were unpleasant and sometimes even debilitating. I was told by my neurologist that because my MS was getting worse, he wanted me to start the most at that time serious treatment in the form of infusions. The problems were the side effects that could be quite serious. I found myself in the valley of despair. I could not see the way out of it. My condition was making my life miserable stopping me from doing everyday things, and at the same time, I had a decision to make that could bring about other, even more serious problems. To add to it, my neurologist did not like the fact that I was negative about this treatment. He was angry, and in fact shouted at me, telling me that if I did not follow his advice, he would discharge me from under his care, which was not easy to get back to. It takes a long time, and you had to have had a number of relapses before you could be seen. He told me to go home 
think about it and come back with my decision. I prayed, I asked God, he knows what is best, he knows the future. While I was reading the book of Exodus, God spoke to me saying, I am the Lord who heals you, Exodus 15:26. I knew what I had to do. God's word gave me freedom and confidence to say no to this particular treatment. I went back to see my consultant, very nervous, to tell him about my decision. But as soon as I sat down in his office, I didn't have to say anything. He told me that there was nothing that they could do for me at that time, but if my symptoms started to come back, I was welcome to make an appointment that he would see me again. This was a complete turnaround. Now, about 10 years later, my MS seems to have got worse, and I have times when I struggle to get around because of my legs, and I suffer with pain and other neurological symptoms. The Lord has recently spoken to me through another passage in the book of Exodus, chapter 4. God shows his power to Abraham, who fears because he is told to go and speak to Pharaoh. In verses 6 to 7, we read, Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. God is in complete control over our bodies. He can do as he wishes to display his power and to fulfill his great and amazing plans. I have surrendered my MS to him. It has become a tool used for his glory and for his will. In Exodus 4:11 to 12, we read, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. This is so amazing. It is God who gives us these incredible bodies, and we are his instruments. Through this affliction of mine, God has taught me things I would otherwise have never known, and he allowed me to do things I never imagined I could do. Standing here and speaking of, in front of you is one of them. My struggles with my, help, with my health helped me not to run dry and keep me close to him. He is my well from which I draw continually and he sustains me completely. When I break, he mends me and makes me even stronger than before. Back in the giant's dungeons, Christian and his friends are still there. They face the giant's despair's rage and threats of dire punishment as they still have not become desperate and hopeless enough to take their own lives. When they begin to pray, Christian realized what a fool he was lying there in this stinking dungeon when he could just walk in liberty. He remembers that he had a key in his pocket that had been given to him earlier on his journey, the key called promise. The key that opens any lock in the doubting castle. And as for me, it is God's promises and God's word that sustains me and keeps me out of the valley of despair over and over again. Thank you for listening.
What a powerful testimony. And the fact is whether the valley that we're walking through is physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us the opportunity just to lean on him and to walk together with him through the journey. Let's just open the door of our hearts to him this morning. Let us respond. Some of you have felt maybe the knocking of Jesus on your hearts this morning for the first time. Others of you, you might be feeling, you know what, I, I just feel like I've become a bit lukewarm. I'm not walking in the intimacy with Christ that I used to. Let's just open our hearts to him this morning. Let's pray, church. Father, what an incredible honor that you desire to spend time with us. Lord, you sent your son to be with us. You're at work with us, whether we're at work, at home, or in between. You're with us in the mountains and in the valleys of life. Father, help us fix our hearts and our minds upon you. We choose to open our hearts to you this morning and ask that you would change our perceptions and allow your peace to fill our hearts as we just cast all our cares upon you. Father, we ask that you would walk with us like you do with Kat through the valleys in our lives and bring us to a place of peace and freedom, a place of hope. Lord, we just pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We surrender ourselves to you. Amen. Church.